Today's episode of The Pod Has Spoken on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by World Central Kitchen. Their relief team is working across America to safely distribute individually packaged fresh meals in communities that need support. They're now serving tens of thousands of meals daily in some of our biggest cities like New York and LA, and they're launching initiatives across America to deliver fresh hot meals to hospitals and clinics fighting on the front lines while keeping local restaurants in business as well. You can directly help the heroes in hospitals and clinics who are fighting for us and you can help keep your local restaurants alive. Go to theringer.com slash WCK to donate. We're trying to raise 250000 and if you have the means, it's an unbelievably great and useful cause that helps our hospital heroes, emergency workers, and local restaurants. Please give whatever you can. The money goes directly to World Central Kitchen, and it's a charitable donation. Once again, that's theringer.com slash WCK. All right. Hello. Welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, The Ringer's Survivor Recap Podcast. I'm Riley McAtee, and every Thursday, I am here on The Ringer Dish Feed to recap the latest episode of Survivor. On each pod, I'm accompanied by a different Ringer staffer, and today with me, it's Sean Fennessy. I'm descending from my spy shack, ready to share all my new information. Sean, before we start today, I have one question for you. How many days are in a week? (laughs) Uh, Well, it's either... It's either nine or five or seven or two. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. That was my absolute favorite part of of that, this episode last night, which I had some issues with. But that was, the Jeremy and Tony exchange was absolutely incredible. It was incredible. I wish we had more exchanges like that. And also just weird, like kind of timing that I liked, given that I feel like the last eight or 10 weeks have all blended together for me. I have no idea how long a day or a week is anymore. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. It could be nine days. It could be five. It could be seven. Isn't it incredible that our quarantine has significantly outlasted a typical season of survivor execution? That's that's how how long and deeply we've been doing this. When we hit day 39 of working from home, which was a little while ago now, I was like, wow, this is it. That's the length of a season. <laughs> I'm just glad nobody voted me out in that time. That's all I've been worried yeah, about. I've made it here, but now it's just kept going. Um, all right. Today, we are here to break down episode 13 of Winners at War. I guess maybe it's episodes 13 and 14. It was either a two-hour episode or two episodes back-to-back. Um, either way, it's the penultimate week before we will get the finale next week. So... It's a big episode. We had two people go home. Um, we had a lot of advantages and some twists and turns and a lot of table setting for what I think will be a pretty big finale. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, let's transition to our first segment. We call this Tribal Council. This is our instant reactions and takeaways. And let's just start with that, Sean. We had two hours. We've been saying it all season. We just want more Survivor. We want more time. And well, we kind of got two hours. We didn't really get two hours. What did we get? We got what felt like two 35-minute episodes mashed together with a big-ass trailer at the end of it. And it was an interesting choice by the show. I think I've heard a bunch of people on the show this season. I think Sean Yu has mentioned this. I think Mallory mentioned this when she appeared. This just felt like a season that was ripe for 90-minute episodes. And this was the first time we got an episode that could have very credibly been 90 minutes. And then they just stretched it out to two hours. And so what you fa- had was this unusual pacing in the editing, this odd execution of the strategy sandwiched in was a kind of edge of, edge of extinction feature that felt 
Like it either could have been significantly longer or significantly shorter, but it was a bit, just a bit of a mutant episode of this show that is fairly uncommon given how typically tightly arranged Survivor has been over the last five or 10 years. Yeah, when they went into Tribal Council with maybe like 40 minutes left on the clock, it was probably like 9.20, 9.25 Eastern. They're going into the second Tribal Council. I went, wow, this is a lot of time. Either we're going to get half an hour of whispering, which is not off the table, or what I thought was going to happen was that we were going to get the Edge of Extinction return challenge in this episode. So we would know who our final, final six are going into the finale next week. What we actually got was kind of a big lead up to that challenge and then a kind of a, a recap style thing from Propes at the end, just kind of filling time. And so next week, we have a three-hour episode. Some of that will be the reunion. Some of it will be the return challenge. And then, so then you'll have a final six tribal, a final five tribal, a final four tribal, and then the final three final tribal council where the jury actually votes. That is a lot for the finale. And I kind of feel like you could have pulled one of those things, which would have been the Edge of Extinction Challenge and pulled it into this episode very easily and had a little more time to breathe next week. So my suspicion about that is that the finale next week, you know, typically the finales are two hours of gameplay and one hour of reunion. And I suspect that we're probably going to get something closer to two and a half hours of gameplay and half an hour of reunion, which might explain this very odd penultimate episode because one we know it's going to be very difficult to do the reunion via zoom as we've been experiencing here at the ringer podcast network trying to make these shows as good as they can be and two there's just so much that has to happen now with another player returning from the edge that there's just a lot of game to play as you're saying and so because of that i feel like we're going to get a, a an extra mega super bowl packed episode finale which I, you know, I, I look forward to, but it doesn't change the fact that this was, I thought, really, honestly, one of the weaker episodes of the the series this season. And I, I, while I have been absolutely head over heels with Survivor this year, and I'm grateful for it as really it, my sports replacement in my life. I mean, I anticipate it the same way that I do Jets games. Um, this one just something felt a little bit off, so I'm kind of excited to break down what really happened here. What a terrible burn for Survivor <laughs> that you compared it to Jets games. Wow, Sorry. you missed maybe, Survivor. <laughs> maybe I should have just said NFL Sunday. Sure. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, though. It is very much like a, a sport. And yeah, I definitely think that we'll get... It'll dig into the, the hour-long reunion. I mean, they've been doing that on recent seasons anyways. I think that this will dig in even more. I've never really minded that. I mean, there's some stuff for the reunion. It's like you don't get to talk to people, but it's fine because it's not 2000 three anymore like all these people will be able to go do like the podcast circuit and do media and stuff so we'll get to see what their thoughts were on the season after this is all over i'm sure we'll get a whole like summer filled with every contestant going and talking about what happened out there on the island they haven't been able to because they're all still in the game on the edge normally you get that kind of trickle out throughout the season so that's fine but it is also like Man, three hours is a really long time. Do we need a three-hour-long episode and we could have had a little bit more in a two-hour-long episode if we could have had 90-minute episodes throughout the season? Just giving all of this time and space to breathe. Um, you know, It's not like a season-ruining thing or anything like that, but it is like a, a little bit of like a wonky quirk. Well, yeah, we just we, we'll, we'll take what we can get right now. So you'd think that an extra week of Survivor would be useful for CBS and for fans of Survivor. So it's it's unfortunate that they didn't extend it. I don't know what goes into that decision making, but I don't know. Nevertheless, what, what did you think about the episode itself? How did you feel about the way that it played out? 
Um, yeah, I think that this episode was fine for the most part. Uh, it certainly wasn't one of the big explosive episodes. It also was not the loved one episode, which to me was a very rushed episode that was kind of indicative of all of the the cracks and flaws of this season and sometimes of just modern survivor in general, in terms of the editing and the pace and the flow. Um, this episode, you know, it was good. I think it was more valuable for its table setting for the finale than it was for anything that necessarily happened in the episode. Um, given that let's, let's kind of break it down a little bit. Let's talk about, I guess the first half of this episode and the Jeremy vote off. So, at that tribal, Michelle plays the coin on herself. Uh, the other, the group of five, they split the vote. They put two on Michelle, so she was safe, but she wasn't going home anyways. There's three on Jeremy. Jeremy goes home. What did you think of all that? Was this the right move? I was honestly kind of baffled by how this played out. And I thought, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves already, but I thought Michelle hit the nail on the head when she confronted Nick at the sort of end of the first episode, beginning of the second episode. And I, I could wrap my head around what the thinking was here. And while I, like everybody else who's been watching the show, have been completely in awe of Tony's gameplay over the last four or five episodes. And I mean, he really is playing close to a flawless game this season. And we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about what the ramifications of that are. Even still, to not identify that Tony or Sarah should be targeted at that stage and for Nick to align himself with Tony and Sarah and Ben on that vote I was like borderline confounding. I mean, I found myself pausing the episode, turning to my wife, explaining the ramifications before they happened. She was getting annoyed with me. She was like, just press play. Let's just keep watching. And I was like, if they do this, this is so stupid. And you know, the show brings out this extraordinary emotion in you when you're watching it. And so much of it is this like, you know, it's logic based, but it's feelings driven. And that's like the whole show. And that is what a lot of the conversation I felt like on this episode was really about as well, was that there is the right move. And then there's the move that you feel and when you have winners, they're playing this 6D chess version of that thing. So it's particularly odd when someone like Nick, who's a smart player, who I thought won effectively in his season, made a move that just seemed so obviously wrong for him. And, and ultimately, he ended up paying for it later on in the episode. Yeah, I think, Michelle, I also agree that she was correct when she was like, dude, that's great that you voted off Jeremy, but now we have no path going forward. I wonder if he would have flipped if you know, his opportunity to flip was to to vote Ben out, basically, because he was the the third person in the vote split. So if he flips, then it's three on Ben and two on Michelle and Jeremy, and they have the numbers. I wonder if the reason is because the votes were on Ben and not on Sarah or not on Tony. And partially the reason for that is because Jeremy and Michelle also trust Tony. And and trust Sarah by extension and everything else. So it's really it's like Tony and Sarah put themselves in a really good position to where even if Nick had flipped, it wouldn't have totally crippled their game. Obviously, they said that they want to work with Ben going forward. And it sounds like he might be in their final three. But if I'm Nick flipping to cut off the head of the snake makes a lot more sense than flipping to get Ben out, which is kind of like not really a big move. It's like half of a big move and you're going to have a lot of people pissed at you that way too i think his big misread was when he was like i'm in the best position i've ever been in in this game and it was like dude nobody trusts you <laughs> i don't think you're in a great position as much as you think yeah there's a there's a style of play 
that works for some people. And we're going to talk about like your, the archetype we're going to talk about this episode is really interesting to me, but there's one that we're not probably not going to spend as much time on, which is sort of the barnacle style of play where you kind of cling to whatever way the wind is blowing in and you just kind of stick onto that, the hull of that boat and you operate as the fourth or the fifth person in that alliance. That's, that's a strategy we've seen going back years now. And Nick effectively played with that style. I think a lot of um, winners over the years who we haven't felt as strongly about use that style. Like Michelle was criticized of that style a bit. And it's just not going to work in a season like this. It's just the, the the bonds between the people are so strong. And the fact that nobody was able to identify that either voting out Sarah or voting out Tony would have completely destabilized the other person I was sort of the conf- most confounding aspect of this episode to me and ultimately I think is going to seem like the most confounding part of this season. That's the one relationship that you knew coming into the season that Cops R Us was a thing. These two are friends. Even though Tony has betrayed her in the past, you know they're going to work together and they trust each other implicitly. And no one sought to 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 undo that. And it, it, was, it was surprising. I have a, a theory on the Tony-Sarah relationship, which is that I think that they have promised each other or have an understanding with each other that they would rather lose the game sitting next to each other on final travel council than cut the other person and win that basically it's like real life coming in it's almost similar to like a blood versus water season where you're playing with the loved ones i think that those two are so tight you know tony kind of said it in this episode he was like oh i'll lose the game for you i won't lose it for anyone else like i think that you know, because I think Michelle was right in telling Sarah, hey, if you sit next to Tony, you won't win. And I think Sarah might know that and she doesn't care. She would rather sit next to Tony and lose than betray him and win. And that is a bond that if you're anybody else, you have to break that up. And it is unbelievable that we went two votes in this episode with both of them vulnerable and their names weren't even thrown out, not even talked about. It's crazy. And I, I, I agree with you completely. And it was so fascinating to see that conversation between the two of them to talk about the, how this was sort of the tiebreaker, you know, that they're, they both already think they're going to the end. They both have won once and whoever wins now kind of claims the crown, but it was very friendly. It was not adversarial. Like they really do have a true partnership. It's really impressive. And the fact that they, you know, in the following episode actually got themselves to a position where they could be like swing votes as a duo. I couldn't remember a lot of instances where that came about. And it just speaks to the power of, of, what they put together and the way that they've played so consistently. Tony really only betrayed her once and he did it for what he thought was the best move for him strategically. And and frankly, it seems like it was when he, when he blindsided Kim. So I, I, you know, I, I think that they are the, the, the lack of targeting them has really been the story of the last four or five episodes. And it, it will shock me if it doesn't result in them going to the end. And also just quickly on Jeremy, um, I thought he played a, a, actually a really strong season and, I think he got screwed here in a way that he probably should not have gotten screwed because of the choices that Nick made. But ultimately, shame on him for trusting Tony in any meaningful way. That was the fatal flaw in his game. I guess what I'll say about Jeremy is it was never really clear to me why he was being targeted so much. He doesn't seem like he's particularly untrustworthy. It's not like he'd made a ton of big moves where his resume was so much larger than everybody else's. Um, and he just was a person that you never wanted to sit next to. But over and over again, it was like he was the vote. And he was also often the vote because people were like, oh, he's close to Tony's number for Tony. But in that case, I don't understand why Sarah is not targeted. I mean, I'm impressed with this game. I thought he did as good as he could have. And he kind of was just drawing dead at the end there. Yeah, I think that's right. I think 
I think there was some fear about him as a potential challenge beast going down to the end, but also the same could be said for Ben or Sarah or Tony. I mean, these are all very physically strong players, an unusually physically strong final group of people here left on the show. And I think, you know, Jeremy is very, is is just like very physically imposing, but is he any more imposing than Ben? I mean, Ben almost won that challenge even in the second episode, despite having a significant disadvantage played to him. So I, I don't know. I, you know, I think there seemed to be something going on with Tony this season. And you're, you're, you've hinted at it here with what we're going to talk about just in terms of the relationship, or excuse me, there, there seemed to be something going on this season with Jeremy that we never totally got clarity on. And the, 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 the discord between Jeremy and Ben was never fully explained. The loss of trust that people had with Jeremy was never fully explained. I think really in the aftermath of that Wendell episode when he got eliminated and then it was unclear where Jeremy's ultimate loyalties lied. And so I, I don't really know why he slipped from the power position, but he did. Yeah, I mean, I think this speaks to kind of a broader frustration that we have with this season. And I think that this season's been really good um, for the most part. I think it's had a lot of really fun moments. I've enjoyed a lot of it. A lot of these characters are good. The cast is unimpeachable. But, you know, Ben and Jeremy are butting heads for several episodes now. It's not even clear why. And it's not clear why Michelle was left out of the vote in the last episode when she, as she says, this episode would have jumped at the opportunity to not vote for Jeremy. And everybody seems to know that. And so it's like, why is Michelle in the outs? Why is Denise kind of trust Ben? Why are Nick and Tony close? You know, a lot of these different relationships that explain the game have just been told to us. It's like, okay, Nick and Tony are tight because they say so. But why are they tight? The show hasn't shown us because it hasn't had the time to because it has to do Edge of Extinction and fire tokens and advantages and twists and all of these other things. And so it, it loses a bit of its narrative cohesion as we go forward. It's like, I just want to understand why certain people trust other people, why they click, why they don't. Uh, you know, at, at one of these tribals, they were saying, we're not chess pieces. This is a social strategic game. And it's weirdly like, then show us the social part of the game. Why are we only getting the strategic part? Yeah, I think that was a great point. It was Nick who said that at a, at a tribal council. I thought that was one of the kind of the quotes of the season in a way and identifying so acutely what the show is. You know, Survivor has reached this point in season 40 where talking about what Survivor is is as much a part of playing Survivor as anything else. There's all this definition around the intellectual ideas of the experience. And we got some of that, I thought, in a pretty sophisticated and emotional way in this episode about the toll that it takes on you. But we also got it in terms of just explicating what you have to do to survive and win, which is kind of a, I mean, it's kind of amusing, but it doesn't ultimately explain anything if you don't get that background that you're talking about. If you don't get those stolen moments, I thought the the moment that you referenced at the top of the show, that moment between Tony and Jeremy you could see there's a there's a kinship between these two civil servants. You know, there's something these guys, you know, firemen and cops are famously a little bit adversarial. My dad is a, a cop. I have a little bit of a familiarity with the the tonality of what it means to be friends with somebody like that. But the guys like that always get along. They always have a friendship, and so it's it was cute and it was adorable, honestly, to watch them interacting in that way. But it didn't change the fact that Tony felt like he had something that he had to do and he did it. And that's why Tony's been so good this season. And Jeremy just didn't see that. And since we didn't, since he didn't, he he suffered for it ultimately. And I think that like those moments, you know, where Tony and Jeremy are 
joking around about this calendar or whatever. They reveal more than people think, than maybe the editors think, because it's not just like something that's a good joke at the top of a podcast or makes a good tweet or is just something to laugh at when you're watching on TV. It shows you the bonds between people, which I think is one of the key things for Tony is that he is just very, very well liked and well trusted by so many people out there. And that's what's helped him keep like both like Jeremy and also like Sarah and Denise and Nick and other people close to him, Ben, or at least close enough to where they won't consider targeting him or going against him. You know, it was like Kim was the last person to really put the target on Tony and he took her out real quick. So, you you know, you just want the explanation for why that is. It seems so obvious to us and it should be obvious on the island too, because Michelle says it, that Tony is playing the best game. You don't want to sit next to him. And yet it is those bonds and that trust that keeps him in the game. You would have thought after the episode where they eliminated Kim, where Tony switched at the very last moment, you would have. You now people knew that he had an idol, but still, that was it. That, that was a game changing move in so many ways. It felt like the tide had shifted before he decided to do that. Where it felt like there was going to be this kind of cluster of six or seven people that were just going to pick off two people. And when it moved and when it changed, that was the time to identify Tony as the problem. And no one acted, and so we find ourselves in this current situation. The other thing I want to talk about from this episode is the discussion at that first tribal council. Normally, I don't really care much for the the tribal council discussions because everybody is so guarded that they end up really not being as insightful as I think they might think that they are. Um, But this one where they talked about the mental and psychological toll that the game of survivor takes even when they go back and months after not being able to trust people and jeremy talking about not being able to trust the firefighters that he works with ben saying he had trust issues with uh his wife michelle saying she has trust issues with the person in the back of her sedan telling her what directions to go um you know it all plays out it's it's interesting and it kind of speaks toward like why trust matters and why you'll stick with somebody you'll trust and not betray them is it's just really this game is really really hard and i don't know i found that 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 discussion at tribal to be one of my favorite moments of this entire season yeah it's fascinating because it's a it's an evocation of something that people might feel in their real life but you very rarely get to see explained in real time so whether you're talking about personally or professionally relationships you have with maybe someone you're dating or a friend or a colleague where you feel like someone's not being completely honest with you or you feel like maybe even you're being betrayed in a worst case scenario. But those things are so ephemeral in real life. And there's no way to have proof most of the time that you have been screwed over. Survivor is literally on tape. So when you lose, you get to go back and watch the episode and see how people operated behind your back. And it must breed a very unique kind of paranoia. So it was interesting to have, you know, I tend to think that those conversations are usually very driven by Jeff, who's making an effort to valorize the power of the game that he works so hard on. And I understand that. This was a rare instance where virtually everyone on uh, at Tribal Council agreed completely with the supposition that this the game just kind of fucks with you. And 
It was unusual. I mean, I don't even really know. It was weird to see winners say that, too, because winners in particular tend to be a little bit steelier. They tend to be a little bit more pragmatic about the toll of the game, and they seem to understand. You know, we saw Tony a couple of times in this episode talk about, like, we don't, we don't, we're not going to bring a goat along with us to the end. You know, this is the winter season. There was a kind of a macho quality to what he was conveying there. But that conversation was, and, and no one's more paranoid than Tony, so that was kind of funny. But there was something unusual about the way that they were talking there, and it makes sense. I mean, you, we, uh, most people never find out when they're getting screwed over by someone that they they think really cares about them. So it was it was it was certainly unique. Yeah, and I I'm just so fascinated in general by like how these players adjust after and then what it's like, you know, a year later. This was filmed in I think May and June of 2019. So it's been a year since they were on that island and now it's getting filmed. And what that experience must be like it must be so surreal to watch that and for jeremy to see you know the way that he was targeted over and over again and who was targeting him and for tony to see like sarah michelle like how they're perceived on the island and you know what's happening in different conversations i mean that's also something that you don't get a window into you know survivor sometimes is this social experiment that can emulate work or school or uh friendships or whatever, but you don't get to see the conversations that your coworkers are having about you. You don't get to see the conversations that your friends are having about you. And of course, they're not you know, talking about who they need to vote off the island or sit next to a final tribal council. So the stakes are different. You know, Hopefully, people aren't, aren't just talking behind your back but, and, and lying to you and stuff. They don't have an, as much of an incentive to in real life, but I don't know. It's just so fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, it was... This was a... a an unusual episode in that way because it seemed like the gameplay and the editing was weaker, but some of the personal moments and the sort of self-reflection was a little bit stronger. And I mean, maybe that makes up for it, but I, I, I agree. I thought, I thought it was very interesting. The other thing I wanted to share was, so Victoria from Edge of Extinction, if you don't remember her, she was the redhead who always had her hair in braids that season. Um, she played a pretty good game, uh, a pretty quiet under the radar game. And I think she went home like final five or final six-ish. Um, she made it pretty far. She did a, a Reddit AMA just the other day, a few days ago, and she had one comment that stood out to me, which is she said that when she came home from Survivor, she had a moderate eating disorder, quote, my hair fell out in clumps. I had vivid dreams of being back at camp and didn't feel like talking to anyone for a while. And then she said, I didn't go back to work at the restaurant for a few months because I wasn't confident I could serve other people food without eating it. That's wild to me. Like just the toll that the game takes. And also, uh, you know, Ben says it this episode a little bit too. When you're out there and you're starving and you're doing these challenges and all of this mentally taxing conversations and stuff. Maybe that's why some people don't behave totally rationally, at least the way that we at home sitting on our couch with our bellies full see it, right? It's just a really hard game and they're dealing with like bug bites and sunburns and I don't even know, like parasites and stuff. And I don't know. It's just, I think it's just always worth highlighting like Survivor is probably a really, really, really hard time. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned, um, my wife's general dissatisfaction with me when we're watching this show together. And one of the things that she frequently says to me when I pause it to try to explain something to her is you're, you're seeing this from 30,000 feet. You know, you're seeing the full picture and most of the people that are in the game are, have to have a lot of conversations with themselves, you know, have to are forced are sort of intellectually isolated. And that must just 
be bizarre. You know, it must be bizarre to see the execution of what you thought was going on around you play out later in life. I mean, imagine if you had to watch a conversation, you had to watch like a, a, a two hour clip of you and I recording this podcast, and then our producer Bobby editing this podcast, and then the podcast going out into the world, and then seeing real time reactions from people saying, here's what you guys did wrong. Here's what you did right. Like the, 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 the immense amount of speculation and attention that something like this gets is must just be unnerving. It's the same thing as being an athlete or being a movie star in a very concentrated way. So I, it's not surprising that it messes with people. I can't stand it if one person tweets at me and says that they thought I did a bad job on something. And so being on Survivor with that kind of spotlight would be a whole other beast entirely. You're going to have to get over that if you want to keep hosting podcasts, let me tell you. That's it's that okay. ain't stopping just, anytime soon. I filter it all out. I mean, it, it actually doesn't really matter. I just read it and think, okay, well, F you too. And then move on. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's also talk about the the Nick vote out. This one was a little more straightforward. It was almost unanimous or maybe as unanimous as it gets on this season because it was Nick voting Denise and then also Michelle voting Denise because Michelle is just always on the outs of every vote for some reason. Um, and I kind of thought, I, I kind of like the way that Denise played this actually and uh but i don't know if it was the best vote for everyone else left in the game to get nick out rather than denise out because i feel like nick is less likely to win if he's on final tribal council than denise is i i agree to me i thought the move here was to find a way to get ben out of the game um but i actually the more i've thought about it the more i think denise has a better chance to win than i mean ben's resume is really weak so maybe maybe this was a really uh, I, I thought for sure Denise was going to be cooked when she was caught strategizing at while Tony was watching from the the spy nest. Um, but that didn't turn out to be the case. And now we have what feels like assuming that whoever comes back from edge isn't going to be able to advance very far, which that may not be the case. But it seems like we have Sarah, Tony, Ben and Denise as a final four. And. I mean, I think Tony and Denise have the strongest case out of that foursome. So you're right. I mean, Denise put herself in a great position here. I, I don't really like the way that she's played the game the previous three episodes. I really hate when people check out of the game and then coast. And I thought for somebody who had played such a strong game for the first 10 or 12 days to essentially decide that she didn't want to strategize anymore, at, but then use that disassociation as a strategy point after that was kind of a new wrinkle. I'd never seen anybody essentially feign, feign checking out and then check back in, but using the checkout as a, as a move. That was unusual. Do you know, do you know who actually did that? Uh, on Denise's first season in Philippines, there was this guy named Zane who was like, at the first tribal council, he was like, oh, just send me home. I'm done. I'm checked out. And his strategy was to make himself the easy vote, but then actually collect some votes on somebody else and what happened is they voted him out he was the first boot um so <laughs> denise sort of turned that strategy around and actually used it successfully in a very kind of comical throwback to her first season but uh i i also agree about ben i think that he might have been smarter too because the my thinking with ben would be that while he's a great person to sit next to at the end don't think he's getting any votes uh you don't want to sit next to him in final four fire making as they say in this episode ben can make fires better than anybody and tony knows this ben has an immunity idol so he's going to be very 
difficult to get out. He was also close to winning the immunity challenge, even though he had a, a 30% disadvantage. So I don't know. He could win an immunity, use his idol, win fire making. I mean, there are not very many opportunities to get Ben out at the end. And I would just hate if I'm Tony or Sarah or anyone really for it to come down to fire making and have Ben just beat me in fire making. Can you just help me get an assessment of the immunity idol? So is it Tony and Ben who both have idols and that's it? Yes. Yes. It's just Tony. It's well, so it's Tony and Ben and possibly whoever comes back from Edge of Extinction because Natalie has an idol. Tyson has an idol that Natalie bought for him and Rob has an idol from before. So Rob and Tyson were the closest to coming back in last time. Natalie is obviously a beast on the Edge of Extinction and also has the most advantages. So she could um, possibly... I don't know. She's very likely to come back in. So there's just there could be a lot of idols in play very quickly here. So should we talk about the edge? Like what's going to happen with the edge or what what we saw? I thought it was fascinating. I wish there was more of it. Honestly, I think it's so funny to I mean, there's so many people there now. It feels like the beginning of a new season of Survivor on the edge at this point. And there was obviously a lot of pomp and circumstance about who's going to get a chance to come back. There's been so much gameplay there. We obviously saw Natalie play that disadvantage that I mentioned, which again, Natalie, if you can play a flawless game after being voted out first, I feel like she's doing exactly that. She's accumulated all these tokens. She's bought all these advantages in the final challenge. She, Everybody loves and respects her. Apparently, she and Tyson are now homies for life. I don't even know how that happened, really. But she seems to be on the brink of something. She's getting an edit that indicates that she could have a Cinderella comeback. What do you, what, like, what do you think is going to happen? Um... I would put my money on Natalie coming back partially because of the edit, but it's also like, has she gotten the edit just because she's gotten so many coins and has been there for so long and has been so good on the edge of extinction. It's not clear if they're like going out of their way to highlight her, but partially just because I think she's great in challenges. She has three advantages. She has a belly full of peanut butter. She's like locked and loaded and ready to go. Like it's just very likely she comes back now. Whoever comes back, whether it's Natalie, who's voted out first, or Nick, who has just voted out, who has no advantages, which is kind of a, a break in the the kind of like game mechanics of Edge of Extinction, that like he lasted the longest and therefore is at the biggest disadvantage in the upcoming challenge, kind of screws with the game. Um, but regardless of who it is, I'm pretty opposed to that person winning. Just, I, I don't know. I'm like a traditionalist in the sense that I'm like, if you get voted out once, you should not win Survivor. The, the goal is to never get voted out. It's outlast. Yeah, I, I seem to recall you and I both being very frustrated when Chris beat Devins. Was it Chris? I believe it was Chris. Chris, Chris Underwood. He beat Devins at fire after. So Chris won immunity at Final Four. And then he gave up immunity so that he could beat Devins at fire in front of the jury. And I think he also had a good understanding that he was probably the only person that could beat Devins at fire and that if Devins made it at the end, Devins was just going to win. Right. So, I mean, that was a historic season. It was, but it was also somewhat unsatisfying because Devins had played such an extraordinary game. This season, I, I feel like Natalie is in a very similar position. I feel like Tony is playing an extraordinary game, but Natalie has an oddly strong resume for someone who hasn't been playing survivor and if she's able to do something if she gets back into the game that wows people i could see the case for her winning i don't think that's really the case for somebody like 
I don't know, Amber, you know, or or even Jeremy, who had just recently been eliminated. Like they're the the resume is not strong enough. It doesn't seem like it, it wouldn't feel just for someone to come back and win in that case. But Survivor does have a habit of not always doing the thing that feels just. So I, I wouldn't put it past them to find and also the 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 way that the people who have been on the edge have been building bonds with the people on the edge might unduly sway the way that the vote plays out. And that's something we probably should anticipate. Yeah, I mean, that's something that's also a flaw in the edge of extinction is Natalie has been able to pal around with the jury for the entire time any of them have been there in a non-game setting where she's not competing with them, where they don't have to question, oh, is Natalie lying to me? Does she actually want to get me out? Um, you know, Who do I have to think about? Who I want to go forward with? Can I trust her? Whatever. They get to just be themselves out there. And I don't know. I mean, if Natalie comes back and were to go to the final tribal council and win, you could make the case that she at least outplayed and outlasted everybody, having been on the edge for so long, having been so strong in all of those edge challenges, even after eating, you know, a tiny spoonful of rice a day, basically. I mean, what what she's doing physically on the edge is unbelievably impressive. But I don't know. I just think that there's more to the game than that for me. And I kind of want to see players play who who are going to tribal councils, who are engineering votes, who are playing the real game. Those to me are the people who should win. Yeah, I'm with you. I, 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 that's ultimately what I want to see. I do worry that if it were to just play out that way, it, would be, it just feels like it would be fairly easy to identify that Tony is the superior player this season. Now, Jeremy did say big mistake on the way out of his episode when he and we've seen that before. We've seen posturing from players who've been eliminated who are angry about the results. Tony and Jeremy are obviously friends. I think Jeremy is somebody who really respects the game and theoretically would be able to get over the fact that he was eliminated by somebody that he thought he could trust. But I don't know. I mean, maybe it is that old, that classical thing where people can't get over their hurt feelings. And so they vote in a direction towards someone they like rather than someone who quote unquote deserves to win. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the other thing about the edge too, is that it's a phenomenally large jury. You suddenly have 16 people because Sandra left. So it'll be 16 of the, the 20 with three on the final tribal council, 16 people deciding who wins the game. And some of them are like Amber, you know, she was out there for three days. She didn't yep. play with anybody who was initially on the Sele tribe. That could include not Tony and Sarah, but like Ben or Michelle or whoever, right? Players she probably doesn't really know well at all. And that and that goes all the way up the line, you know, with like Danny being voted out next and whoever. It's like they didn't not only did they not play very long, but they didn't get to know the people in the final tribal council. And sometimes you'll see seasons where like in, in uh, seasons with normal juries where the people who got voted out kind of at the beginning of the jury segment, they all end up voting for one person to win. And the people who got voted out closer to the end will all vote for somebody else. And so there's a clear divide of what parts of the game they actually witnessed firsthand and which parts they only saw through tribal councils and through their other jury members telling them stories and stuff. And that could be, supersized on this season too, which actually might go toward why maybe it's not so obvious to the players in the game that Tony is is the clear threat to win in the end because it's like it's hard to run the numbers on 16 people on the jury. Some of you know someone's going to come back in. There's just a lot more going on. Maybe there's just less certainty about where the jury votes are going going this season than on most other seasons. Yeah, it's just one more thing that has been a slight tweak on the season 
the same goes for for fire tokens this year you know and and what they mean to the show and they played a pretty significant role in this episode and i still I, I think i've been with you throughout the season and sort of being a bit confounded by the way that they've explained them and the way that they've used them to make gameplay more complex i do think that as soon as the fire tokens and advantages coming into the tribe from edge that started to give the it started to give things more coherence to me and what i think would have been useful is if there had been a little bit of I don't know, table setting up top. Now, I think that they probably couldn't have done that on the game because that would have eliminated some of the intrigue and confusion that breeds good gameplay. And Survivor very rarely communicates to its audience without including its players. You know, there's very rarely a title card that says, here's what something means. Usually we have to wait for a player to read a scroll to get it. But the general disorientation around this economy that has been built up around the show I think has actually hurt it as opposed to helping it. And that's unusual in Survivor. A lot of times when Survivor introduces something new, it's very clean cut. Probst explains it at the top of the season. He says, in this season, we're going to have the edge of extinction. Here's what that means. This year, there were so many new factors and it was never totally clear whether you should or should not be pursuing tokens that um, while it seems like it was great for Natalie to be pursuing them, I think most people in the audience, if you had to ask them, what is the purpose of this? They couldn't totally clarify it for you. Yeah, I think when it comes to fire tokens, I've been kind of open-minded and intrigued all season. But ultimately, when it comes down to they didn't really get a chance to buy anything. The last advantage that was bought by fire tokens by a player actually in the game is going to be this disadvantage that Nick bought that he put on Ben. Kind of feels really anticlimactic. Like I thought these were going to matter in some way they don't seem to actually really matter and so instead what you get is just i don't know it just like i keep going back to the sandra vote out actually and i'm like man sandra really blew up her game and ultimately got herself voted out of the game for two fire tokens that probably wouldn't have made any difference at all and if she'd known that she never would have made that deal but it was the uncertain value the completely unclear value that caused players to make some mistakes and so i don't know i'm open to them in the future maybe tweaking the way fire tokens work or what you can buy with them or not but i i don't i feel like they were a bust on the season yeah although you know what you just explained there made for a great moment in the game so that the, Denise's move, that is the big resume checkpoint on her list. She's coming down to the end of this season and she gets to say, I voted out the queen because uh, she wanted fire tokens foolishly. And that did help. Now, it'll be interesting to see the same way when they introduced immunity idols into the show, the same way when they introduced uh, the Edge of Extinction into the show, what the next season looks like if they decide to bring fire tokens over. Because if there's some clarity that you can buy an idol or that you can buy something meaningful, or that maybe you'll be able to accumulate a large number of tokens in an attempt to disadvantage another player. You might see the way that they're the, the way that they work in the following season be a little bit more effective, a little bit more clear, and the gameplay might sharpen around them. So I'm kind of mixed on it, honestly. The other thing I'm worried about is so Ben has an idol, Tony has an idol. The Edge of Extinction player might have an idol. All of those idols are good at the final six tribal council and the final five tribal council. So if they save them at final six. You could have three players with idols at final five. One player could win immunity. That would give four players immunity in some fashion at a five-person tribal council, which is exactly 
what happened to Sari, although it was at final six and game changers, what we call advantage get in when someone goes home with no votes. And if that happens, oh my God, my like open mindedness and in, in and like intrigue that I have toward fire tokens and like twists and advantages and stuff, I will go on a rant if someone goes home <laughs> because if it's Tony, oh my God, it'll be like a nuclear bomb just dropped. And yet, it would be a great survivor moment. It would be, uh, it would feel no, unjust, it but it would, no, it, but I, I mean, this is really, the show is, is the rare circumstance, the rare game show slash reality show that in constantly tweaking its style makes it utterly unpredictable. And I think, you know, Riley, you and I are, are a couple of organized guys. You know, we like an outline. We like a spreadsheet. We like rules. We like to know what the expectations are. When you write about the NFL, you are looking at whether something makes sense in a coherent system. But I do think that the show survives and thrives on its constant disruption of what the strategy ought to be. So while I think if Tony doesn't win this season, honestly, based on the way that these episodes have played out thus far, it will be very strange and it will seem... It will seem unjust to me, but if he's eliminated yeah. in extravagant fashion, that's good TV, man. That's just good not TV. In a, not in a way like Tony hasn't had a single vote against him all season. So if he goes home and still doesn't have votes against him, then it'll feel really unsatisfying to me to watch somebody who's played the best game go home just because there's a proliferation of twists and advantages. Like mostly, I just think survivors should be more careful about how many idols are in play or different forms of immunity are in play so that that doesn't happen. You at least have two people vulnerable at every tribal council at all times. Even that, if there's only two people, that still might not necessarily be enough. But if it's only one person, that's insane. No, I I hear you. I agree. I mean, what else is there to say until we see how it goes down? You know, I don't want to idly speculate too much. Well, yeah, I don't know. I love to to speculate and get myself worked up about things that haven't happened yet. All right, so let's transition to our archetype breakdown. Today, I want to talk about what it means to be a goat on Survivor. So this is not the goat. We're not talking about Sandra or possibly the winner of this season. We're talking about, you know, what Tony says in this episode, which is players that haven't really done much, have been outside the votes, aren't necessarily respected by the jury or liked by the jury. And they're players that you want to sit in the end next to unless it's the Super Bowl season and maybe you don't want to sit in the end next to them. But basically, it's players who just don't have a shot at winning the game. So let's actually roll that clip uh, of Tony O'Michelle here just so we can hear him Outside say it. every vote. She has no idea what's going on in the game. In other seasons, you would call that a GOAT and you would want to go to the end with them. Not on the Super Bowl season of Survivor. You don't You don't want that around. The only scary part is Nick Peterson. I guess let's just talk about, like, is Michelle a GOAT? I don't know if I'm convinced that Michelle is totally a GOAT. Well, I think back to when I last appeared on this show with you, and I remember Michelle was your pick at the beginning of the season. I know you're anti-Michelle. I, 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 honestly, she has changed my mind. I think she has played very well this season. Now, there's this, there's this difficult distinction point where I don't think she's that bright, and and I, I respond to players who are very strategic and she has never struck me as a person who has thought beyond the next move that started to change this season. And she also clearly had, has something, something sociable that has allowed her to survive. I don't, I don't think that she is the traditional goat by any stretch. Um, She has prior to this episode, not been a challenge threat. She's not built huge alliances, but she has made moves 
particularly giving Jeremy that 50-50 advantage. Particularly, I thought in this episode, one of the, and I'm kind of getting ahead of a category that's going to come later, but I feel like it's important to talk about. It. I thought one of the best moves of the this whole episode was Michelle confronting Nick about how stupid his vote was in the first episode because that obviously compelled Nick to then go to her to get tokens to then get the eight tokens to then disadvantage Ben, which gave her an opportunity to win that challenge and win immunity. That was a really meaningful series of events that happened for her, and it, it kept her in the game. And you, ha- you have to give her credit for that. I mean, I thought that was masterful. Whether it was completely purposeful is sort of irrelevant. She played that right, and she that, it, her honesty about Nick's mistake led to a good outcome for her. And I, I don't think... I think it's unfair to characterize her as a tr- traditional goat. I, I do think you could make the case that she was... And I, and I did to you when we last talked about it, that she was just immensely fortunate in her previous season to be in the situation that she was in where the other two people who sat with her at the end, people just didn't want to vote for. And she got the kind of like, I, I th- shrug, throw my hands up vote. I, I, I still think that that's not really in dispute, but I have been really impressed with the way she's played the last five or six weeks. Yeah, I will say, I, I think that Aubrey played a more impressive game or at least the type of game that I respond to more in the season that Michelle won. And that's why she's been that that perception is widely shared by a lot of survivor fans so that's why she's been so hell-bent on you know proving herself this season and i do think that her her stock goes up this season she's played uh well even if she's been on the bottom or on the outside of the votes for just so many votes in the merge i mean talk about a brutal stretch for her but i think i was most impressed by her in the pre-merge at the parvati vote out when michelle was able to still vote for Wendell, but there was clearly a kind of deal that she knew she was she knew Parvati was going home, and so she was going to get Parvati's tokens and then share one with Wendell in exchange for putting um, his name down because I think they were actually tighter than it was shown. And so she does have some kind of like can think two steps ahead. She's not necessarily a Tony, for example, who thinks like five steps ahead and is just always going, 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 but. I don't know. Michelle's not like a zero strategically. I think she's very good socially. You know, she's had a lot of fire tokens throughout this game because she's had a lot of people who want to give her the fire tokens. Now, maybe that means she's just aligned with all of the people who are going home, which isn't necessarily a great look for her, but she does have friends on the jury. Like if she gets onto the final tribal council, I don't think she'll win, but I don't think she'll have zero votes. She'll have some votes, I think. And that's not a goat. A goat is somebody who gets no votes at the end and has no chance of getting any votes at the end. I think Michelle's done all right. She's clearly, a, you know, if if Survivor can be divided into three types of gameplay, if it's like social, strategic, and physical, she's almost a 100% social player with not as, she's just not as impressive in the physical or the strategic aspects, but she's not a nothing there. So, I don't know. I kind of like her. No, I I think that's well put. And I think that, I mean, she she did just win a challenge and she got this great arc over this two-hour episode. I mean, she really was the big winner of this episode in a lot of ways because she had that kind of really crushing inability to catch a ball in the first challenge and she just seemed completely bereft after the challenge and she just seemed incompetent in the game and she was in a poor position and the vote at the end of the first episode really screwed her over and and it felt like it kind of disenfranchised her from the game completely. But then by the end of the second episode, it's like, I don't know, could she go to the final three? It's in, it's in play. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So 
it was kind of a whirlwind episode for her. But I think the other thing that happened too is just that she's really charming and she she's just given good confessional this year. And the between her the way she's talked about her relationship with Wendell to the way that she has aligned with Jeremy and kind of kept herself in the center of the frame. Like, you know, somebody like Ben, and maybe this is a chance to talk about what a real goat is. Um, has just kind of sucked this year. He's just a, not a likable character. He hasn't made any moves. He rarely wins anything. And he's very rarely in the confessional because he's not good at narrating the game. He really feels like the worst player on this season, despite the fact that he's likely to go to the final four. That's a, that's a very brutal assessment but i think i agree with you uh ben said at the challenge when he got this disadvantage played on him that he's gotten no fire tokens or no advantages so he might not be making any friends out there that to me is a true goat i mean i don't think that he's played a a game that's good i feel like him personally clashing with jeremy was really really poor it's like you have to put that stuff aside you also have to understand that even if you succeed in getting Jeremy out, he's a jury vote. Like you got to be thinking a little bit more, not just who you want to spend time on the beach with, but you know, what kind of persona you're actually putting out there. Are you going to be kind of a jerk to people? Or are you going to be nice to people? He also had like weird stuff with Adam and, and it's just, yeah, I, I don't know. I have not loved Ben's game this season. And it seems like on the Island, there's not a lot of love for him either, given that he just had, you know, hasn't gotten fire tokens with people and stuff. And so it's, if you're sitting at the end with Ben, I feel pretty good about it, which is the complete opposite of his season where no one wanted to sit with him because they knew he had the best story and he would win. Yeah, I I just think he's a little outmatched um, this season. And it revealed it reveals a lot about the previous seasons to watch somebody like Tony operate on a season like this, who is so deft and adept at knowing which way the wind is blowing and keeping the energy off of him, but also maintaining power. You know, Ben, we saw this season his attempt to make a move that was just incredibly foolish. Like his attempt to kind of manipulate Nick and Michelle only brought Nick and Michelle closer together. You know, he's just he's actually just not a great survivor player. And that's a weird thing to say about somebody who has won the game. But he just seems to be operating with a kind of rudimentary level of 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 expertise here relative to the other players. His idea to tell Jeremy, oh, go ask Michelle for the 50-50 coin, see if you can get it, and then tell Michelle, watch, I bet he'll ask. It's like, dude, those two are tight and they trust each other. You know what they're going to do? They're going to compare notes and realize that you are screwing them, which is, of course, immediately what they did. I thought that that was like, I'm like, this is like a newbie season type of move where you you think you're playing everybody, but it's so obvious that that was going to backfire and fail. I thought that was w- one of the big moments this season where I was like, Ben just feels like he's kind of out of his element here. He, he's the one of the few players on this season who I feel like my stock for them is going down after this season. I feel like most players, regardless of where they've actually placed in the end, have been at least stable or have gone up they've shown us something that they didn't show before obviously they're all winners so they kind of come in with pretty good reputations anyways ben is one of the ones where i'm like yeah i don't know if this guy really strategically or socially is a very good player yeah i agree i I don't really i I don't really even want to talk about him that much because he's just been kind of the bummer of the season for me and his his energy is just weird and uh he has no chance to win so it feels almost like a waste to spend too much time on him I know he has no chance to win, but he does have a chance to kind of shake things up. I mean, I don't know. Again, it's like my nightmare is Tony losing fire to him in the final four or something like that uh, because he's so good at that element of the game. But yeah, let's uh, 
we can stop talking about Ben and we can move on to our superla <laughs> superlatives. Um, let's do best move first. Sean, what was your best move of the episode? I think it would be silly to not cite the fact that Tony continues to absolutely dominate the game and that he and Sarah were basically in charge of every vote here. So I, I'll just say for the for the broader best move, it's just Tony's strategy. But the thing that I, I thought was so resonant was what I mentioned earlier, which was just Nick uh, going to Michelle after Jeremy was voted out and, and Michelle very directly saying, what are you doing? You just screwed both of us, which is the kind of conversation you would expect would happen in Survivor more frequently than it does. But I felt like it was both honest and good gameplay. You know, it was it was a uh, an attempt to resolve her feelings, but also make it clear to Nick that he fucked up. And that obviously had a huge impact. It meant that Nick trusted her in a new way and, and he went to her to execute the disadvantage in the next challenge. So that that just that struck me. I agree totally with both of those. I mean, Tony and Sarah, just broadly speaking, as we've said, like not getting targeted is insane. It's not really like one move, but it's been a whole game with them where they just have not been on the chopping block. And that's wild. And yeah, I agree. Michelle was totally right when she was talking to Nick. Um, I will say for my best move or what I would just want to highlight here is I think Denise was really impressive. I think that her her plan to... Um, you know, do this thing with the rice. So I'll buy the, the the rice and I'll act all dejected and then turn that into Nick going home is really interesting. And I kind of marvel at when Michelle won immunity, you know, Denise was not like lying when she said that she thought she was on the block. She was obviously on the block. Now she knew, knew probably that Nick also could have been an option for everybody else there as well. So maybe she played it up a little bit, but of course she thought that there was a very good chance that she was going home. Ultimately there was a good chance that those were basically the two people that were going. And I think her ability to know that and to not scramble and just remain totally calm and totally who she is, is really impressive. I feel like, a lot of players, when they think they're going home, that's when they just start running around, talking to everybody, uh, throwing obvious lies out there because anyone's going to say just anything when they know that they're at the bottom and it's their turn and no one's going to believe them and they just play it all wrong. And I think Denise just still having her quiet confidence. I don't know. It's it's not something that's easy to pull off. It's not something you see often. Yeah, you know, halfway through this episode, I felt like Denise had screwed herself by definitively aligning with Tony and Sarah. And I thought that there was an opportunity there for Denise, Jeremy, Michelle, and Nick to really make moves. And I, I thought she was playing a really weak game when she was just following Kim around as Kim was imploding her own game. I mean, Kim really just got so badly outplayed in those last couple of episodes before her departure. But it turned out to be the right thing. I mean, by the end of this episode, you could see, a, a, like I said, a path where somehow she's sitting in the final three and, and maybe even has a case. So... You're, you you make a great point. She's she's played well. Yeah, I don't know if she'll get to the final three. It's very tough when you have Tony and Ben with idols and people who are good at making fire and somebody coming back in from the edge of extinction who may or may not have an idol. Um, but I don't know. I like the game Denise has played. She's another one of these players where I, she played really well in Philippines, but um, she's also played really, really well this season and has been a bit of a more bold player this season. And so, I don't know. I'd love to see her again. Um, her stock is going up. Let's let's also do worst move. We kind of already covered this. My worst move was just Ben's 
basically entire season. <laughs> um, <laughs> just we're not fans of Ben, I guess. Uh, and Borga, yeah. his gameplay. And yeah, I don't know. The, the thing with the 50 50 coin with Jeremy and Michelle, ugh, I just hated it. Hated it so much. But uh, Sean, tell me your worst move. I mean, Nick screwed himself. He just completely screwed himself. Michelle hit the nail on the head. There was an opportunity to make a, a big move, whether it was for for Ben, who all he had to do was just vote for Ben at that tribal where Jeremy was voted out. That would have eliminated Ben, and that would have at least slightly destabilized Tony and Sarah, where they would have felt like they were on the outside looking in, and then that's actually what you need to do in order to take out significant players. Or if they would have made an effort to identify Tony and Sarah as so profound threats, and they could have just attempted to go after one of them right then and there, I, I he just he has nobody to blame but himself for being out of the game right now, and that's my pick. Yeah, I thought it was it was really rough when he was like, "Oh, I'm in the best position I've ever been in all game." And but and anytime somebody says that in a confessional when they give that to you in the episode, it's like you know, you know they're going home. Yeah, yeah, it was tough, but you know, I, Nick is a good player. And I think his his win is is his first win was really legitimate. It's just he he was in a, he was in a season with sharks and he 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 was kind of a guppy ultimately. Um. So our last superlative is usually our front runners to win. Given that there is only one episode left, let's just say who will actually win. And actually, let's how about not only who will win, but who will sit on the final tribal council? Do you think? Let's let's just do three of them. Um. I have a guess for this. Sean, do you need a moment to think or do you want me to go? No. Uh, yeah. Why don't you go? That's, I mean, that's an interesting question about tribal council. So, right. I think that, cause I think we're broadly in agreement that Tony's in the strongest position. If you kind of like reading the edit tea leaves, he's gotten a very, very good edit this season. Just feels like if they're going to coronate kind of the champion of survivor, Tony has gotten that coronation King edit. So I'm picking Tony to win. I think that he will find a way to get there and, Ultimately, we're going to have one of the, the greatest players ever that we're going to get to talk about. I think who will sit next to him. I feel like Michelle will sit next to him. I just feel like she's gotten enough good content. And while she is an underdog and a goat, I mean, that could be a reason. Even if Tony doesn't want to sit next to goat, perhaps other players will. And they'll they'll keep her around after this. And then if I have to pick one other player that's there, I don't know. I just don't feel like Sarah is going to make it. I feel like Ben's going to go on a run. He's an idol. He's good at fire making. I could see him being a, a, a zero vote finalist. Maybe Michelle gets a couple of votes and Tony gets the overwhelming majority. That would be what I would say right now with the caveat that I don't know who's coming back from Edge of Extinction. And I don't know how that's going to play out. If it's somebody who comes back with an idol, perhaps one of them takes the Michelle or Ben spot on that final tribal. You know, obviously... I'm not like closing the door to uh, Denise or to Sarah. They could both be there too, even though I feel most confident about a Tony win. I don't know. I think it'll, I, I feel good about Michelle and Ben as well. I'll go slightly more chalk. And I, I, okay. I, I feel like we're likely to see Tony, Sarah and Ben at the end, which I don't think is terribly exciting, but I do think that, you know, I, that's the I, final I, three that was highlighted this episode. They were like, "These, this is our solid final three. It's kind of one of the only solid final threes we've gotten explicitly highlighted. Yeah, and I think if it does come down to Ben and Denise or Ben and whoever comes back from the edge, that Ben obviously has the advantage with his ability to make fire and also Sarah and Tony's clear understanding that Ben has no resume and that he's a great person, to your point about being a no-vote finalist, to bring with them. So... While I don't think that's a great outcome, I do think you get the potential for a kind of 
Shakespearean Tony versus Sarah. Like I was the puppet master, but I was the puppet master's puppet master kind of speechifying coming from Sarah. You know, like there's an op- really yeah. a, an interesting showdown opportunity there between their two styles of play. And it's so funny, like we've hardly talked about Sarah in this episode. We've hardly talked about Sarah. You've hardly talked about Sarah on this whole season. And she's just playing a very similar game to the uh, uh, game that she played when she won, which is very stealth, very smart, almost never makes a mistake. You know, she's really played very, very effectively this whole season. She just doesn't have those wow moments that Tony has. So I, I but my gut is Ben, Tony and Sarah, but we'll see. We should give Sarah a ton of credit, too. I think she's played a great season. She really impressed me a lot in Game Changers. I think that she's impressed me a lot in this season, and I think she's probably one of the best to ever play. Um, A Survivor legend in my book. The thing with this season that's different is it feels like Tony gets more credit for the moves that Tony and Sarah make together. And Tony has the Sophie boot, which was the episode of the season, maybe the Tribal Council of the season, that... Sarah was not in on. Tony went rogue for that vote. And I think that that's a big feather in his cap as well that kind of just pushes him above her for me. Um, But yeah, I mean, if Sarah won, I would not be dissatisfied at all. I think she's played a great game. She has. She really has. It's been a a great season, man. It's been a great season. I know. We we complain a little bit about it. And I do think that there are are things that they could learn from this season about how to form a, a storyline across the whole season and, and not give us just good episodes, but really a good total narrative. That said, there's been a lot of great stuff. I've really enjoyed this season. I hope that the finale is as satisfying as everything else or more satisfying. Thanks for having me here. It's been, it's been fun to watch you grow into a, a spy shack Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for coming on. Hopefully one day I'll be asking questions as well as Jeff Probst does at tribal council. <laughs> It's a high bar, man. I know. It'll take me 20 years to get there, too. (laughs) Um, All right. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for listening to The Pod Has Spoken. I'm Riley McTee. That's Sean Fantasy. Bobby Wagner is our producer. We will be back here next Thursday to recap the finale, our final episode of the season. We will see you then. 